All right, welcome to the very final part of Calibunga, our exploration of the Californian ideology. I'm Alex Hokili. George Hoare is here. Phil Cunliffe is here. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. So I was the only one who didn't get to go to California for the trip. Yeah, so do we, do we need to recap you on what actually happened in California? I mean, it was a very long time ago now. I mean, it was a, it was a whole two months ago. Um, I think we were, we were planning on, on having... I listened to Calibunga. I followed with... Uh, with great interest and devotion, uh, your Instagram photos and uh, general kind of messaging and emails about the trip, not to mention the fine podcast product that uh, you have released associated with the trip. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, we, we just selected the best two, two out of the three that we had. We thought we'd go for that. But um, maybe we should recap the, the high points and low points of the trip, Alex. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know if there... I, I think the... We did go there joking about the fact that we were two kind of Europeans going to California and feeling really alienated by everything that we saw there. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Why were you alienated? It's, it's just a strange place. It's just a strange place for, for anybody who's grown up in, in Europe and is used to kind of the layout of European cities. Being in L.A. feels like a completely centralist place and you don't really know where people are meant to go. Um which, you know, for any, for any Americans listening to this, they're not going to be surprised by this. They can be like, yeah, this is, these are the cities that we live in, other than whatever, New York and San Francisco. So... No, I mean, because, I mean, but it's a East Coast, West Coast thing, isn't it? Uh, it's, maybe, but, but, you know, San Francisco, I know what, you know, you can walk around places, there's public transport. A LA, the only place that felt like something I could recognize or place was downtown LA. Um which is now just kind of rapidly gentrifying, hipsterizing kind of bit of the place. But uh, that, that's the way these things tend to go, as we talked about in the third episode of the series. Yeah, we, we certainly did. So we, we were a bit like um, Adorno and Horkheimer going to the, going to the US, you know, yes, strangers in a... Fleeing, fleeing a Nazi Brexit Britain, <laughs> going to California, escaping the most brilliant mind, perhaps, of his generation on the left, fleeing to California. And I guess um, Alex was leaving Nazi Brazil. Exactly. Yes, exactly. You guys are exactly like Horkheimer and Adorno. <laughs> it's just a shame that you haven't written any books yet at all. Horkheimer. <laughs> you need to put the emphasis on the first syllable. Um, <clears throat> Which is not no. true. You have written a book, George. Would... I guess so. you still got to write a book, Alex, and then yeah. you'll count as Adorno and Horkheimer. We were, we were strangers in a strange land. It was a, it, do you know what? And I'm not just saying this, Phil. It was a really fun trip, and it was, it was <laughs> uh, you know, had a, had a really good time. California is, a, as much as we might intellectualize it, it it's a good time state. It's a good time, uh, part of a good time country um, to a certain extent. And it was, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks to our patrons well, and, for and, us. Yeah, and well, and and, and you also know, for um, the University of Irvine as well, University of California Irvine. Yeah. So the other thing, of course, is that uh, the California ideology isn't just about California anymore. Uh, in fact, when it, the the term was first coined, it was precisely with the idea that the Californian ideology was becoming something a lot more generalized than just a part of a particularly Californian experience. So I thought by starting to start off, we could maybe return back to looking at uh, Barbara and Cameron's book, The Californian Ideology, uh, and try to see if it still corresponds to one, what we've discussed and whether we think it's the, like the appropriate lens to, to continue talking about these themes. So this is a kind of a self-criticism session, I guess. That's what's going to happen now. 
Um, I'm 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 all for self criticism, but to engage in preemptive self criticism, we should before going on to the Californian ideology today, we should just really quickly recap what we did in the episodes. So I think we we discussed a great deal in the episodes that we've already already had, um, and so the you know to to refresh listeners' memories, the first episode was. An interview with with Richard Barbrook on the Californian ideology. We also discussed mental health, wellness, health in general, and mental illness. The second episode, we talked a little bit about recreational drugs. We talked about capitalism and, and depression. Um, with uh, in both those first two episodes, with some students from the University of California, Irvine. In the third episode, we talked about the Californian class structure and housing. We also talked about architecture. In the fourth episode, we talked about the Frankfurt School. And romantic anti-capitalism and in the fifth episode we talked about coaching and self-improvement so we really covered a massive uh, amount of, of ground and well done to anybody listening to all of those episodes um which i think did come out the californian ideology from a range of different perspectives and also of course of course thanks to all of our interviewees who we, who we spoke to in 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 socal in south california back in in may so yeah alex i, I don't know what you want to uh, cover in terms of the Californian ideology today and what we what problems we might have with this uh, uh, this conceptual construction well I guess the the first place to start returning back to Barbrook and Cameron's Californian ideology is that it tends to focus a little bit more on the nexus between technology and entrepreneurialism with a certain let's say, libertarian spirit emerging from the hippies, hippie counterculture. And the stuff that we've covered, although it's definitely touched on that, it, it focused a little bit more on, let's say, the narcissistic angles of, of, of these questions, talking about the self, therapy, culture, mental health, and so on, um, which I think is worthwhile because it helps enrich a vision of the Californian ideology, which maybe is lacking from... Uh, that precise conception that that Barbrook and, and Cameron put forward in, in, in the 90s and 2000s. Um, that may be just worth recapping what the four claims that they tried to expose in, in that book. Mm -hmm. One was the identification of Silicon Valley's 1990s high-tech liberalism, or neoliberalism, with San Francisco's 1960s hippie counterculture. So they're being skeptical about that link, we just come out and, ass and asserted it, I think, about the Californian ideology, which is maybe right. We'll come back to that. Put a pin in that for a second. The second was the assertion that the net was solely created by heroic entrepreneurs rather than the combination of public, private, and community initiatives. Uh, the third is the McLuhanist claim, ref referring to Marshall McLuhan, uh, the claim that media technologies rather than human actions are the subject of history. And the fourth is that uh, a celebration of the net as the realization of Jeffersonian democracy with no sense of irony about Thomas Jefferson being a slave owner. I'm quoting there from, from, that, from their book, um, from their essay. Um, I think, we, guys, what do you think here? I mean, that, that certainly is one angle of the California ideology. Do you think that captures what we discussed? How do you think these two different conceptions talk to one another? I think it's, um, I mean, it has to be the centerpiece. I mean, the premise of Calibunga is obviously that it's, the Californian ideology is something more expansive than um, a decentralized kind of techtopia, but it has the the promise of technology to result to generate wealth and to resolve social problems. I think has to be part of anything that would claim to be um, Californianism. 
as insofar as California exists as a set of ideas, or Californianism is uh, expressed as a kind of set of social or political attitudes. So, um, and linked to that, the complementarity, you know, I mean, for sure, the complementarity of um, the complementarity of hippie counterculture with a um, ruthless oligarchical focus on um, making tremendous amounts of money and exploiting kind of public military in infrastructure and investment. Those two things fitted together very well. I think we also looked a little bit wider as well. We tried to look a little bit at the <clears throat> the California of today, something, some things about the the built environment, about the changing, yeah. I guess and the this, changing class structure in, this was, in California. This was as it is. very, I think, very, particularly in the first episode, this was very, it was really interesting what Barbara said. Um, and it's mentioned, I mean, it's mentioned um, persistently by an, anybody who talks about California is, and it's the mo one of the most immediately striking things, is the shocking scale of homelessness. Yeah. How it's gotten worse over decades and decades. But also what Barbara said, which I really stayed with me and I think kind of became something of a theme throughout Calibanga and was picked up subsequently um, by Joel Kotkin in um, episode, uh, when was it? Episode three. Um, what he said that it doesn't feel like the future anymore. Yeah. yeah. It previously, it was the, I think um, Richard Barber put it, it was the beta version of the future. Yeah. As at one point, it was uh, what the future was going to be, but now it doesn't really seem like that. And perhaps we could even have spoken, well, if we had access to them, we could have spoken to some more tech billionaires. We could have um, interviewed Elizabeth Holmes. That would have <laughs> been great. We could have, we could have Peter sort of... Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel. Thiel well, Peter Thiel, he's, he's got... I'm keeping it. my blood to myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> Alex, let's be serious. You're way too old. He doesn't you're not want a blood your... boy, you're a blood he... man. <laughs> he's not exactly. Man. You're completely a blood man. And he doesn't want your aging, your aging, alcohol-infused, thin, insipid blood. Mm. <laughs> to all no, positive, no, there though. Is, there is... A, <laughs> I think there is a point maybe around what's what's changed since the publication of of, of um, California Ideology, the original essay, particularly around the hopes invested in technology. I think it, they, they've become more desperate. The the hopes invested in technology as the social structure in California has become more uh, rampantly unequal. Because it's needed to be, tech needs to save us if we have a homelessness problem. Because then we're only one iteration away from from cracking this this um, solution that can not only help uh, the world but more approximately help California to solve it. Yeah, um, the, the situation which it's in. Which well, is I, I think that's right about the striking. about the desperation of it. I mean, it's tech enthusiasm has become ever frothier, but it's also not coming from somehow outside or it being a certain fraction of capital which is in the ascendancy trying to fight for space. I mean, it is de facto, you know, the four kind of the big four are some of the biggest companies in the world. So uh, there's no question about their uh, economic weight nor perhaps their, their cultural hegemony today in a way that when Barbrook was initially writing, that wasn't the case. I mean, it was something which was insurgent, which presented itself as being countercultural, he was, you know, spotted it earlier. It had nothing countercultural really to it. Um, 
but today I don't think any kind of tech advocate could hold that it's necessarily counter-cultural. The only way that it actually does this, and this is to refer back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the year about entrepreneurialism, which is that entrepreneurialism sells itself as being, I don't want to say counter-cultural, but somehow insurgent uh, by this logic of, or, or this ideology of disruption, right? That there's these big old monopolies, old bureaucracies, heavy institutions which need to be broken down by these insurgent little startups you know um it's i think you're right it's weirdly kind of populist in a way yeah. but it's the ideology of disruption it's like oh we need to disrupt all these ways of doing things which have, have, have previously pertained so we need to disrupt politics and that's a populist idea it's pe people versus versus the establishment we need to disrupt aging or disrupt housing disrupt whatever the whole idea is that there is some kind of radical um veneer given to something by this idea that whatever's come previously is uh isn't working and mm. so that must mean logically that whatever is disrupting what isn't working is emancipatory um is you know is is progressive in a sense yeah and so here's a here's a hypothesis building on that uh the idea that i think that we don't need to unmask uh that anymore or at least kind of the scales are falling from people's eyes with regard to uh, the the hegemony of the tech sector. And I think it probably started around 2017, 18. I remember thinking at the time, like, hmm, I wonder if the worm is beginning to turn, whether people are starting to hate Facebook. Uh, and that's proven very much to be the case. And it, you can see it even in terms of, like, public policy with regulators now trying to come in and um, limit their ability to gather data within the EU. Of course, that's don't want to get into the, the details of that. But... You know, there's a, certainly a lot more uh, scrutiny paid to the tech sector in a way that it wasn't, you know, five years ago. Maybe the place where we kind of need to do the kind of ideology critique that Catherine was, spe was speaking about so much in, uh, especially in the first two episodes, is precisely with regard to the stuff that we've done, which is on on wellness. You know, that that is a place where ideology is a lot more mystified, and it's you know, it's not seen as ideology in a way that. Uh, uh, in a way that a lot of this tech utopianism can be much more obviously dismissed as, uh, you know, a kind of self-interested form of promotion for, by tech billionaires, uh, only thinly disguised as something democratic. Well, it's quite a good move. It's quite a good move for <clears throat> to kind of for neoliberalism to to move inwards and to move from more and more. <clears throat> I guess, public uh, forms to more and more private forms in the sense that it's quite easy to tell people, right, the, the way that you need to to internalize this this um, this well, form of society is by is, is by looking internally. You need to you need to kind of um, attend to your mental states rather than rather than, complement yeah. to the um, to the technological complement. So I think the two things are very clearly um, two parts of a whole. Um, and it also gives the lie, I think, to the um, also to the claims of being at a technological frontier, of being um, focused on science and innovation, because alongside that, you know, there's all the stories of the Silicon Valley, um, the Silicon Valley tech billionaires, like buying, getting sick, getting dysentery and cholera from drinking raw water, and paying enormous amounts of money to go on talk on uh, tech detoxes and all getting into their Buddhism and, you know, blood transfusions and all this 
all that crap. I mean, all the spiritual New Age yeah. crap. So the New Ageism is the spiritual complement. You know, you can't just have the kind of dry, um, the dry technological, ruthless, money-focused aspect. The complement to that is all the spiritual New Age hippie Buddhist horse crap. And so the two things go together very well, and they're both part guess, of Californianism. Yeah. And it's true that the spiritual side isn't seen to be so much, um, isn't quite seen to be ideological, perhaps, the way yeah. that um, Silicon Valley tech oligarchy is now seen to ha be, um, you know, kind of a constituency with its with an ideological project. Um, In fact, people, people, see, see, people see it precisely as a counter to that very often, as a yeah. kind of... Something warm, as opposed to the, the 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 cold rationality of capitalism, which I think I I, guess, I think I guess, our, the series did a good job, hopefully, in yeah. trying to unmask the idea that you know these things are separate. But I think that that that's yeah. the point that I was trying very un, um, inarticulately to make, is that 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 turning inwards, it is it is a very useful um, next step. It is it is it makes sense that if you have a um, if you have an extremely, uh, I guess, um, competitive and instrumentalized society, that the that one stage of this is going to be look is going to be implying that uh, applying that internally, and I think that's essentially what looking at wellness and looking at what mental states is all about. It's all about the ways in which they've been uh, instrumentalized and the ways in which they've been used for other ends and the way particularly around uh, productivity mm. it's quite striking that the that wellness is not valued for its own uh, its own sake instead it's it is it, it, it can only be understood in terms of this this overarching californian ideology and i think that's why the is i don't know if it's complementary in the in the way that phil was talking about it but it's certainly it's certainly of a part of a wider societal and economic way of doing things that you then you move into okay i'm i am myself at all my mental states are are, are to be don't using... be so harsh on yourself well we we all are aren't we well, that's speak the point for yourself well you can't escape it it's it's well maybe you you can but it's i, I don't think it's very easy to escape it this in the instrumentality and the the the, the fact that these these things which were, which were previously, uh, I don't know, a, a haven that you, whatever you do at work is, is fine. And that is your, your, your employer's business, but whatever you do outside of work is your own business. It doesn't work like that yeah, anymore. That wall's come down. That wall has completely come down. And in fact, your wellness and your, your mental states need to be something that you, well, it's like social reproduction. You need to, you need to work on producing yourself or reproducing yourself to be, uh, optimally productive and part of that is looking after your your mental state so that when you come into work on a monday morning at 8 59 a.m you're there to you're there to work you're not there to, to mess around okay so here's here's here's, here's, <laughs> here's the question uh which is about cynicism which is a note a notion that came up in the chat with uh, mena meyer the director the dutch documentary film director um which is you know, I, I proposed, discussed whether the those wellness coaches, you know, wellness coaches, sorry, the coaches, coaches, the people who coach coaches to be coaches, uh, whether, you know, they're cynical about the it. The educators she, must be educated. Well, right. Um, but, the, you know, she, she was like, no, no, they're not cynical at all. I mean, they, they believe in it. Um, but what you said just a second ago, George, does kind of prompt the question. 
because you know if you go along to do some sort of wellness course because it, you think it's going to make you more productive you're treating that wellness in a very instrumental fashion you're not buying into the spirituality you're just using it to you know you're siphoning off a little bit of it to, to use for for your own ends right um well that's, so that's the point isn't it it's, it's not what is the we, we can ask uh, quite sensibly what is the point of wellness the point of wellness is not in and of itself to be well it's wellness for a purpose and that purpose unfortunately at uh, the present point in time is to to go into work with a positive sunny attitude and to to not only be productive but also to somehow communicate okay but i think uh, but maybe there's something there might be something framework. more to that there might be some you know the idea that it provides some sort of psychic stability to deal with what is otherwise a very alienating situation a very alienating context so in that sense i don't think it's entirely cynical i mean but what i'm trying to get to is why does this why and how does this appeal to people right it's a new but it's a new it's a new protestant ethic um, okay you know stripped of the kind of um central european conservative prim uptight um view and it brings in a whole kind of new set of um prim uptight um values but ones that are kind of you know postmodern buddhism yeah. and east asian spirituality and it's well we, we can see this completely okay okay so right and no no and as and as we discussed that there was that people aren't you know boozing anymore people aren't actually being hedonistic especially younger generations like uh, you know millennials and and zoomers certainly you know the they're all self exactly well they're self medicated in a, in a very um self-contained and and restricted fashion and in a very instrumental way as well like let's not let anything get out of control so here's a question then is is it a kind of a cool protestantism so is it basically like the trendy protestants so you um you're actually fairly puritanical at base but you realize that there is a certain amount of of hedonism which is required in order for you to maximize your 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 puritanicalism mm. your they're, not, they're not hedonistic I mean, but that, that's the whole point there is no there, there isn't really any hedonism permitted in it it's you know no, it's, but, it's, but that, it, if hedonism you, know, you is, might smoke is, you might smoke weed but it'll be because it's medically licensed and doctor told you you should um and it helps you to relax and kind of um, it'll help you to come up with new ideas for coding whatever you do i don't know i mean the point it is prim um, yeah, that, and so it is that, about self-control. That, that's my than... point. My point is that is there a, a sense in which it is like the the hedonism is secondary to the the pure the puritanism. So you have a you only go so far because you need that release valve. So you only, so you you only I think this gets to up some points we made about recreational drugs that you you know that you need it to a certain extent, but you you would never. You know, there's there's not a, a a mindful, sorry, there's not a mindless hedonism. There's a mindful hedonism in the sense mm, that it's yeah. it's it's used to allow you to kind of double down later. So it's, it's within certain. Yeah, limits. maybe I don't I don't know how much abandon there is there. So does it count as hedonism if there's no sense of abandon? There I, isn't hedonism. I just don't think hedonism is part of it. I mean, people, you know, you might need to escape from all of that. And, you know, what they'll do is probably they'll go and, like, eat, like, a McDonald's burger or something like that and feel terrible about it. Um, or they might, like, um, not follow, you know, miss the gym for one day and then feel like, you know, that um, things are really terrible. 
It's not, I mean, it's not, I don't think hedonism is part of it. Okay, well, so just one tangent here, because it's something that you, when you said cool Protestantism, that made me think not of the Californian ideology and spiritual wellness tech workers, but of evangelicals, actually, and kind of happy, clappy evangelicals. Because that's the, that when you say cool Protestantism, yeah. that's what it made me think of. And it's funny because the people who subscribe to, quote unquote, the, the Californian ideology would probably all be secular and would probably turn their noses up at, at kind of happy, clappy evangelicals. Maybe that's just uh, just another face of, of a same phenomenon lying well, beneath a, it. There's a good episode in, in Silicon Valley, the HBO show, um, where, where the one of the uh, main characters um, has an acquaintance who is a um, who is a Christian, and he essentially outs this person as a Christian. <laughs> so he says, you know, I don't know if you've seen this episode. It's it's, it's good. It's a good show. This keep keep explaining. Um, <laughs> keep explaining this thing we all know about. Um, no, so he, no, no, but li listeners I, might not know it. I, I can't recall the episode, exactly, so yeah. go for it. You should, you should, you should know this. So I should be patronising. <laughs> I um, haven't done the so recommended he, viewing. Yeah. Sorry. No, and it's un it, it it makes sense that there's two things that you can't be um, in in Silicon Valley. Or one is um, a Christian, the other is a smoker. Mm. These are two things which are completely right. verboten because one is irrational. Um, and this is Christianity, just uh, any smokers out there. And the other is self-destructive. Um, and th these two things are both, um, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute because yeah. you can microdose LSD because it will fray the edges of your, like of your reality, which is potentially productive, potentially creative, but actually putting yourself over to a, a moral system, um, a, a way of interacting with the world, with, with the world such as Christianity, is that's that doesn't make any sense mm. because this is not a. It doesn't fit in with that kind of extreme rationality, extreme romanticism. That, but this um, is but this is interesting actually because this is exactly. I mean, a lot of evangelism, evangelical Protestantism, also seems really sterile in some ways right um and because it's the, the yeah. whole ideology of of success and and you know that the very hyper individualistic form of 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 protestantism and maybe it is just a mirror image of of this of of what of you know the kind of silicon valley ideology Okay, so another question then. Uh, how, to whom does the Californian ideology apply? I mean, who, who follows this ideology, to put it in that way? Because we, tend to, we talk about it in, I guess, about three different publics. We talk about it in terms of Silicon Valley, either very highly paid uh, salaried employees or even the, the kind of Silicon Valley oligarchs themselves, or... The, the kind of PMC, the professional managerial class in general, or maybe even that it uh, that that it that it is latched on by a much wider section of society uh, that it that it has some appeal among the working class as well. What do we think? I think it, it's obviously transparently a uh, it's a, a elite set of ideas. That seems completely true. Um, it's very aspirational. And, I mean, I don't know about elite. Um, I, mean, yeah, I mean, elite, it is. yes, it but is. aspirational. You know, it's something which is kind of um, 
it's something which is, you know, if you, what it sells is, and we've talked about it before, you know, if you get up at 5 a.m. and drink kale smoothies and do 1,000 crunches before 7 a.m., before you go to work, and then you have, like, go to the gym in your lunch break and listen to productivity podcasts yeah. and not to Alpha Bunga Bunga. I do all of those things. And you'll if be you a billionaire. Things, you can and you'll be a billionaire. And if you get, like, a good grade yeah. at a top university and work in Silly... So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's aspirational. I mean, it's elite, but it's a very, it's a, a hyper kind of meritocratic vision of middle class success. Okay, I, so I don't disagree with any of that. But at the same time, if you, if you recall back to the, like the episodes one and two, where we discussed the ways in which some people might buy into notions of wellness as a way of dealing with alienation and that in or for example even the fact that you don't have health you know if in the united states you know you don't have health care that you might yeah. uh, buy into some of these wellness notions as a way of uh you know as a way of trying to provide some sort of stability or preventative health care or whatever um so yeah I, I think so so two points on this one is is similar to phil's point that there is an element of the american dream i mean if, if you're talking about the californian dream it's like the american dream within the american dream or the american dream square so there is a kind of an extreme meritocratic element which is always going to be aspirational definitely but there are other i think this is this is the uh, an important thing that came out again and again in what we were sort of um when what we talked about in throughout the episodes was it's this combination of that of of sort of neoliberal hyper individualized um, meritocratic aspirational ideas but also countercultural hippie spiritual romantic mm-hmm. ideas both of which are in different ways hyper individualized and i think it is the marrying of those two things that is particularly important and that's why it had so much purge and i said had because i think it, it might the time of it might have really passed but it had that purchase in that period in which progressive neoliberalism was particularly yeah um particularly on on the up because it it really enabled people to um look at their own like this is why i think it's particularly important for the elite look at their own success and not only see it as a as their their own as their merit which had had uh, allowed them to rise to the top of society but also see it as somehow spiritually good or somehow there was a part of it which was like, well, yes, not I only am I good materially person. successful, but I'm a good person yeah. and I'm a healthy person. So yeah. they had they had it all. They had smugness off the scale. And, you know, that that was a set of ideas that really uh, helped them to to live with themselves in this yeah. situation. Well, and th- this was elsewhere called the, the new spirit of capitalism, um, as one book had it. And uh, I think I think that's another way to talk about this. I mean, it, I think that book spells out very clearly how these sorts of ideas first entered into kind of management discourse and the management literature uh, very early on. I mean, the, the book um, by Boltanski and Capella was written in 95 in France. And, then, and again, it was in France about, about French management literature. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as if this was looking at the, this thing bubbling up in, in California early on. This is, or was already present in, you know, somewhere like France, which is, uh, which you know, in some ways, to certain respects, it is a little bit impervious to to some of these influences. But obviously, um, it it ends up succumbing to them just as much as uh, anywhere else does. For example, the Netherlands, which is you know, as we discussed with with uh, with Mena, a clearly well, yeah, traditionally seen as a very individualistic society. Um, 
I guess what Phil was hinting at there, kind of towards the end, and, and George as well, like, you guys, uh, the where this goes next, right? Because I think during the period of progressive neoliberalism, this could present itself as much more natural. As things have become more fraught today, whether you see that in, in terms of uh, class politics or in terms of culture war, uh, it's obviously the case that, for example, the, the people holding the Silicon Valley ideology, people allied to the tech sector in the United States, are very much seen as one camp and not seen as... Uh, it not not in any way kind of naturalized as as the way things are. So, what does the Californian ideology look like when it's no longer neither insurgent nor hegemonic, but now is kind of being pushed aside or or or, or having to compete with perhaps a more I don't know nationalist form of a more nationalist and right wing form of politics, certainly among, within the within the elite and within the middle classes. So or before indeed, we before we get onto that, kind of... hey, before we get onto that serious question which i think is an important one i just wanted to touch on the uh, example of uh, elizabeth holmes and bad blood um which is a great book which all listeners should uh, should definitely read um because I, I think there are some internal problems with the californian ideology today some ways in which it's definitely frayed um even on its own terms so if you look at this this example of a um a uh, supposedly physics defying uh, product a charismatic or perhaps um drawing on the charisma of other other entrepreneurs steve jobs in particular uh, female ceo it it was strange how far parroting some of the tropes that the that, that jobs put forward and basically just relying on some some quite surface um uh ideas or some some kind of identity categories Holmes was able to to take her company and obviously it you know spoiler alert, it unraveled in, in the end but I don't know whether it really is the case that the Californian ideology is particularly secure at the moment um, I think there are some questions about how it interacts with some of the, the, the other things that you mentioned Alex but I think there's there's a, almost a prior question in terms of how um, to, to what extent people really buy this buy this bullshit anymore? Phil, well, they clearly do. I think. Well, they do. I was going to say before so? I, before I was rudely interrupted. I was going to say that the I mean not right wing nationalism, but also um, a trust a kind of a reinvigorated trust busting from the early twenty first century, um, increasing pressure to break either to treat the big. Um, say social media groups as public utilities um, or to break them up because they're too large and too powerful or anti-competitive such as Google or Facebook and that could happen conceivably under a second Trump administration or under a Elizabeth Warren presidency but it probably won't happen then I mean I think these developments are still you know if they came you know if the trust if kind of American capitalism moves into a new trust busting phase that'll happen over the course of the next 10 years it's not something which is going to happen imminently i don't think um so no but but the anti but the anti-corporate things are still floating around so ubi for instance is a classic silicon valley idea i don't think that's going away anytime soon wellness i think is um because it takes so many different forms um you know it takes kind of uh having your monitoring yourself through productivity apps on your phone and on your watch as well as kind of um, postmodern Buddhism and Eastern spirituality. It takes so many different forms. It's very deeply rooted. 
So, you know, it's kind of, I think we're in the very early phases of a fragmentation. I don't think it's uh, going to disappear overnight. Well, I mean, I, I, what my, my hypothesis would be that it becomes harder. It becomes more, let's say, nakedly oppressive. And, uh, you know, for example, the, to take an example that you just mentioned about self-monitoring through apps and whatever, that that becomes less of a, either of a gimmick or a kind of, holistic approach to yourself becomes much more uh, a command of you must monitor your health and submit it to the relevant authorities otherwise you know you don't get health insurance or your doctor won't treat you because they'll note that you know you've drunk too much or whatever the past weekend um so you can, can see i can see i can see where this could be I, I think i think maybe i agree with you that it's definitely a possibility the big question is what is at the the root of the californian ideology back when Barbara and Cameron wrote this book and also today. And for me, it's that hyper-individualism. And so that is completely consistent with a hardening, as you were describing, with a kind of a, almost a doubling down in a in a situation of, of, of more extreme inequality, because then you're like, well, actually, this has really separated the wheat from the chaff. And it, mm. and it has really shown that the wheat now own 99% or 90% of the land in California, and the chaff own the, the, the one or the 10% which they were which they were supposed to, and I think that is that is a, a an important point that it doesn't it's not really determined where it's going to go because it's not about anything at the end of the day other than the possibilities of the individual, both looking internally into self realization and self kind of enlightenment, and externally in terms of solving problems. And so it's quite a I think it's quite it could go a number of different ways. And I think the hardening is, is, is one of those which will be determined not by the, the, the coordinates of the ideology internally, but by what's happening in, I guess, in, in Californian politics and, and um, the economy. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and the, the point about hyper-individualism relates to how we see the, the kind of, I guess, the wellness stuff going. Because there, mm. what, you know, wellness in a way is a response to, is a form of hyper-individualism, but, but in the way that it's received by a broader mass of people, it's also a response to a hyper-individualistic society, hyper-competitive, a war of all against all, that, you know, you've just got to kind of hunker down and, and take care of yourself. Um, and, you know, here comes in that discussion about self-medication, for example. Of course, in doing so, you end up doubling down on, on individualism because you try to find individual solutions to something which yeah. seems like an individual problem, but is actually something of, of, a, of, of a social problem. So, you know, you, you can imagine that, especially looking at the kind of habits of Zoomers today, of, uh, you know, which we, we already talked about, but the way of, you know, self-medicalizing even more just to just so you don't really have to feel too much um and that's an that's a way in which i guess the let's say that the spiritual hippie-ish angle of the california ideology gets taken forward into kind of even more dispiriting times sorry was there a question there <laughs> You can just respond to that or, or you know. No, I mean, but, you know, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is way more withering than what I said. <laughs> I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just going to just say what Phil said, which is, yeah, fine. 
I mean, Fine. yeah, like it's what you're, say you're sure. suggesting, it's difficult to. <laughs> no, yeah. Seriously, it's like when Americans say short, which is like they're like, if you insist, if that's no, what no, look, it's not really about. Want. It's not if you insist. The point is, um, it's possible. I mean, everything you say is possible, and it's unclear, and it's an you know, it's a, it's a enormously kind of complex phenomenon. Um, it's not. It's by no means. If you broaden it out from just thinking of it in terms of Silicon Valley um, techtopia, it's um, it's very uh, you know it's global. It takes many different forms, and it could kind of push in all sorts of different and unexpected directions, as well as resistance to it that might you know even in trying to um, push back against it, might entirely be defined by it as well. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't, it's not, it's not as if we can draw a clear conclusion in this discussion. Um, no, no, no. I, fine. I sure. We can, say, we can say more than that. We can <laughs> say that meritocracy as a, as a general idea and the individual having within themselves, um, uh, skills and, and ideas and potentialities, um, is a is is an is an ideology which is which is quite dominant within Western Europe within America, and the uh, and additional to this is that this these are the things for which you should be compensated for in society, which is of course fundamentally um, a, a liberal idea um, that these things are are not to be socialised and to are to be rewarded at at an individual level. Um, which is something you might or might not agree with, but it's certainly, I think the Californian, like California does represent in its, in its um, extremely neoliberal and it's extremely hippie-ish, it's yuppie-ish, it's yuppie-ish and it's hippie-ish uh, elements. Um, an idea of what, of what agents are, of what, of what people are, which is something that, that needs is good in one sense because it shows or it suggests that there is a real potential for, de for development and achievement and progress and all those things are important but it's not very solidaristic and i think that is a big big problem because it it's it's uh yeah it works against uh, any any form of collective action to change it all right very good uh I guess we should leave it here. Uh, this has been our Kalibunga roundup. Um, we're obviously going to take these discussions forward and we hope to be bringing you more uh, of this sort of thing, even if it's on different topics, uh, more long-form investigations of uh, the ideologies of our times. Uh, obviously, we have to thank, once again, Catherine Liu and University of California, Irvine, and the School of Humanities there for making this all possible. And of course, thank you to Peter Crabb for hosting us there as well. Uh, and thanks to everyone who we spoke to, which I'm going to enumerate now. Richard Barbrook, uh, Catherine New, Benjamin Kruger-Robbins, Thomas Williams, Michael Mahoney, Amber Lee Frost, Alex Gendler, Joel Codkin, Tim Abrahams, Tyrus Miller, and Mena Laura Meyer. And of course, thank you to all our patrons. We hope you've enjoyed this. Again, send us any thoughts and feedback you might have. We're always happy to hear you. And uh, catch you next time. All right, bye bye. I am Governor Cherry Brown. I are a smile.